Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about dire dreams and abhorrent abductions. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Brian Babb and Caleb Stevens are voice talents Trevor Rines and Nate Dufort. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our Theater of the Minds, And brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale this evening is written by Brian Babb and is performed by Trevor Rines. In it, we'll give audience to the state of sleep wakefulness, and those gory gray areas in between. Now, without further ado, I present to you A Brief Terror in the Night. I can't remember when I had the dream. I was a kid, I think, but a little older. Maybe in high school. It had been a tiring day, or at least I was very tired that night. 
I remember my eyelids felt heavy, weighted even, as though my body was still asleep even as my mind crept back towards consciousness. My vision was blurry, unfocused, the sharp corners of the end of my bed, my closet door, and my dresser all rounded and unrefined. I had only a vague idea of the shape of the clutter of my room, and even that idea was informed more by memory than by my own unreliable faculties. In my semi-awake state, I was not surprised to see at the end of my bed a figure shrouded in the same midnight shadows draping the rest of my room. In dreams, even the waking ones, you'd see things that aren't supposed to be where they are, and you don't question it. This figure was, to the best of my admittedly hazy knowledge, my best friend. We'd been friends as far back as I can remember. So I knew his shape well, even if I couldn't see the details of his form. Yet, as is often the case in dreams, I knew with a guaranteed certainty that, no matter how identical in appearance it may be, the shadow at the end of my bed was not my best friend. He had his shaved head, his narrow shoulders, his long arms and legs, but it was not him. The sense of him was wholly wrong, totally mismatched. This figure which had been watching me doze was no one whom I had ever even seen, let alone invited into my home. I lacked the cognitive skill to muster speech, but I heard my thoughts projected audibly all the same, filling the air as clearly as if I had uttered them aloud. "'What are you doing here?' I asked. In my dream mind, I knew that this visitor was lurking here for some purpose, some malevolent goal which caused an accusatory tone in my projected voice. It said nothing, however, and instead focused its yellowy eyes towards my own, locking its gaze with mine with an expression of curiosity. Get out of here, I said, or thought again. Go away. The thing that looked like my best friend didn't react. It didn't so much as blink its big eyes. It just sat there looking at me with a curious sort of look, like a little kid ogling some exotic animal in the zoo. You're a liar, I said, trying to express my annoyance. You're not Drew. You're trying to trick me. I'm Drew. It said in a voice identical to my best friend's. Every accent, inflection, the slight drawl on the last syllable. The dream thing performed an impeccable impersonation, as if it had spent countless hours listening to Drew's voice, mastering all the little subtleties. You're not supposed to be awake, it continued. Go back to sleep. Icy cold fingers gripped my heart my chest freezing as I suddenly found myself struggling to breathe. It wasn't supposed to speak, and it certainly wasn't supposed to sound like Drew. My dream's logic informed me that speech was a thing which my unconscious had not assigned to the shadow. The action was totally foreign to the universal laws of my own mind, as strange and unsettling as if one day I were to wake up and see the sun rising in the west. Shut up, 
I said again, though my voice had lost its previous confidence. Go away. This is my room. It didn't say anything this time. The shadow just sat there, looking at me, studying me. Then, slowly, it swung my friend's legs over my bed frame and stood to Drew's full five feet and eleven inches. Then, its face still expressionless, the shadow pointed at something. It wasn't me. It was further past me, and it took a moment for my mind to realize that it was pointing outside the window beside my bed. I shifted my eyes to the left, straining to catch a glimpse of what it was the shadow wanted me to see. But all I could discern was the night sky, cold and infinite and uncaring. I was beyond fear at this point, certain now that whatever this thing was, it most certainly had to be more than a dream, more than a figment of my exhausted mind. Surely this was some demon, some cryptic haunting thing that lurked in the shadows of men's minds since time immemorial. I simply lacked the perverse creativity to muster the image of so blasphemous a being, a thing which wore the skin of my oldest and dearest friend to get close to me and steal my trust. Yet, after only a few minutes of pointing towards my window, it finally did leave my room. It turned slowly and deliberately before walking away with the casual jaunt of a young man whose only concerns are grades and girls the jaunt of my best friend. Yet as it stood in my open doorframe, it paused, and with that same slowness, craned its head back towards me, turning Drew's neck at an angle just barely too sharp for a human neck to turn. Its face, though, was no longer Drew's. Instead, it wore the shaded visage of a man of long years and weathered features. The skin was brown and sun-damaged, the proportions of the eyes and nose foreign to what I was accustomed to. He looked to me vaguely Egyptian, though this is only a rough guess, as it seemed that this face concealed secrets of time and space and dreams beneath a faulty human exterior. I looked into those yellow eyes one last time, despite my consuming shock and saw an intelligence lurking in them that transcended humanity itself, surpassing our ideas of gods and science, dwarfing our understanding of the material world in which we lived. To the Egyptian thing I was a small and useless creature, a curiosity in a cold and uncaring dimension of time and space. My petty life was a source of mild amusement for this unspeakable intelligence. The study of my dreams, nothing more than a pastime. Then it left, rounding a corner in the hallway and never again appearing before my waking or dreaming eyes. Yet now, years later, I find myself grappling with the thing. The thing which I tell myself was surely a dream. Doubtless this was a being which my mind had conjured of its own volition, 
without thought nor care to how such a horrible entity might shock my conscious self. Yet those eyes, yellow and interested, were of an antiquity so beyond my limited understanding of the world that I could see the brimming secrets of the cosmos dancing on their surface. And should the impossible be true, and the Egyptian thing truly exist, then perhaps it serviced me by leaving, for had I gazed too long into those alluring yellow pools, I might have been lost to them, lost to a world of splendor and glory never meant for men. And should my soul trespass into these forbidden places, then surely madness would be my only reward. These thoughts I ponder still as I drift to sleep each night. And each night, just as consciousness slips again from my grasp, I faintly hope to see him again, just to catch a glimpse of those golden orbs one last time. Two suns embedded in a shadow as dark as night. I hope you enjoyed A Brief Terror in the Night, as written by Brian Babb and performed by Trevor Rines. Brian Babb currently has a book out called The City Above, which you can find on Amazon. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our second tale of the evening is written by Caleb Stevens and is performed by Nate Dufort. In it, we'll meet a man desperate to find his daughter after she's abducted from a remote campsite by something that's not quite human. Now, without further ado, I present to you, If Only a Heart. The frost hit him first. A cold ether that woke him stiff, head to toe. Paul opened his eyes to the tense, weak pre-dawn light and rolled toward his daughter, toward the bloom of cinnamon hair, so like Catherine's. Coffee and milk. His hand drifted for her shoulder. Morning. How'd you... The word died on his tongue. He thought that she must be up already, unzipping himself and standing to stretch. Her sleeping bag was empty. 
the red nylon wrinkled and overturned. He sat up, his gaze now falling on the open tent flap in the gray wash of sky beyond, a sliver of purple bruised mountain in the distance. He got dressed, fumbled a hoodie from his pack, and pushed out to a mix of wet earth and fog. Paul glanced around the campsite for Olivia and saw only the pair of logs they dragged next to the fire last night and miles of dense thicket stretched out beneath a gray dome sky. Off the beaten path, it's where Olivia had wanted to go, somewhere she, they, could get away from the pain. Pain hung on them both like thousand-pound anchors, the two of them casting about on a dead sea and broken ships. No wind, no motion. Just empty black water in despair threatened to pull them down, down, down. Paul cupped his hands to his mouth and blew, turned to look at the wall of greenery behind him where she must have slipped off to pee, off the beaten path, and they were. Sidetracked by at least a quarter mile, maybe more, diverted last night by a stray deer trail in the fading light. It had nearly grown dark by the time he'd realized his error and brought them to a halt. Need more time to turn around. Best to break for camp and find their way back in the morning. Morning. Silence. Too much of it. He should have heard something of her by now. A rustling through the brush. Her twelve-year-old feet were on the wet leaves. Anything. But there was nothing. No breeze. No birds. Too quiet. Something was wrong. A jangly flutter of nerves, and he walked to the edge of the camp, called for her, brought his hands up, and yelled, Livy, it's time for breakfast! Nothing. And somehow, he knew there'd be nothing. A chill spread through him, a cool slick of it pooling in his chest, his limbs, that familiar anxious knife of dread at losing her as he'd lost Catherine. He yelled again, louder this time, his voice taking on the tone that always brought her running. Livy! His voice echoed back faintly, swallowed by all the brush. He circled the camp, calling out and looking for footprints, for any sign of her, of which there was none. Just the forest floor, rich with pine needles and drifts of shed bark. Then he spotted it, a carving in the trunk of a sapling maple at the edge of camp. Witch hazel, the shavings fresh. A heart, but not the ubiquitous curve of love he'd seen etched into the bark of so many neighborhood trees. This heart was an actual heart. So lifelike he practically expected it to start beating. Two atria, two ventricles, veins cutting exquisitely through muscle. How is it so detailed? Paul wondered. He knew no blade could have carved this. It was far too intricate for someone to hack into the tree with a Swiss army knife. And if they had, it would have taken weeks. No one would spend that amount of time. Not up here. He blinked and looked lower, feeling the air rush out of him at what he saw. The print of something large and thin on the earth, bone-like, deep 
Fresh. Five, no, six toes. Claw marks. Paul burst into the thicket and ran. Don't you dare, Catherine said, slapping his hand away from the radio. Do you really think she'll have fun? Paul laughed and smirked. She rolled her eyes at him before looking back through the rain-spattered windshield toward the canyon of trees beyond, the gunmetal sky. I know she will. It's just... she's never been away from us this long before. I think it'll be harder on you. Probably. He reached over and took her hand, squeezed. Livy's a tough one, like her mom. She'll be fine. One look at the camp and Paul knew Olivia would forget about them the second they left. The lakes, the woods, the horses and all the activities. Archery, soccer, rock climbing, arts and crafts. The place was a kid's dream on steroids. I hope so. Her voice cracked and her hand slid free of his and fluttered at the corner of her eye. Come on, cat. She'll do great. I know. She's just growing up so fast. I'm not ready for it. Me either. And he wasn't. She was growing up too fast. It seemed just yesterday he was bouncing her on his knee as a toddler. Those huge brown eyes of hers begging him for another bedtime story. And now she was 12? How had it happened? I'm not ready for this. Catherine continued. She'll be in middle school next year. Middle school, I feel like... Her mouth suddenly peeled apart, eyebrows ripping up her forehead. Paul, watch out! Too late. He returned to the road and jerked the wheel right to avoid the oncoming truck as it careened over the yellow line. Then they were slamming down the hill, rocks and dirt and branches slapping at the glass before an expanse of cold, dead air and the sensation of falling. The bracken thickened around him and became so dense he wondered how he'd ever work through it. Branches tore at his throat and his arms, etched red tracks across his skin. Still, he bowled forward through the undergrowth. The pain didn't matter. Nothing did but those prints in the muddy earth. They were so far apart, impossibly so, like they belonged to something with ten-foot stilts for legs. His heart thundered in his chest with every step. Livy, he couldn't lose her. Not after Catherine. She was all that was left of her, the only thing that kept his ruined heart beating, and even then, just so. Before they married, he'd been on plenty of backpacking trips with Catherine. Deadfall littered his path, snags of trees and decayed wood to work through. Each step bringing him further into a world that shouldn't exist in Appalachia. Nights spent sipping wine from red solo cups with the stars sprinkled above them in great drifts of powdered sugar. The fresh scent of pine and campfire smoke. Days out here. Sometimes weeks. In all that time, nothing remotely like this. With each step, the forest seemed to grow around him. The trees towering twenty, thirty, a hundred feet overhead. Larger and larger, like he'd stepped into the middle of an old growth preserve. Black bark giants stretched for the sky, 
long strips of moss trailing from their branches to the forest floor. Massive ferns and other bushes he couldn't name. Magnolias are the size of footballs. Strange colors everywhere. Everything prehistoric looking. And all along, he screamed for her. His voice pitching higher and higher. Desperation tearing at his throat. Livy! Silence, even here in this ancient place that should be teeming with life. A black silence that infected him with terror. A palpable sense of dread. The light suffocated above by the thick canopy of leaves, rotting it so that he could barely see ten feet in front of him now. Catherine's voice in his ear. That final request. Protect her, Paul. Livy! Ahead through a corpse of hemlock, weathered wood has long gone to hell flashed at him, chalk gray and leeching dust. He broke into a wide clearing, heavy with waist-high clumps of wild grass, and slid to a stop. A stitch of pain savaged his side, his lungs aching for air as he stared at. A cabin? A cabin, yes, but not a cabin. Something else. Something that needed to be clarified. Support beams erupted from the earth at impossible angles and curved through the structure in ways timber shouldn't move. Smooth bends and vicious 90-degree twists. A swooping front porch with no doors or railing. Thin slat planks pasted together in intersecting angles. A patchwork roof. Windows pocked the exterior with the haphazardness of a shotgun blast. Some sideways, some upside down. All of them were at odd, unnatural gradients that made no sense. His vision blurred and he angrily wiped at his eyes, focused. Whatever had taken his little girl had brought her here, buried her somewhere inside this monstrosity. He wasn't sure how he knew it, but he knew it like he knew gravity. He could feel her through the walls, could imagine her screaming for him. Acid splashed up his throat, and the black wave of panic spread through his limbs once more. Livy, I'm coming. He picked up a rock, aimed at the closest window, hurled it, and watched it bounce off the opaque glass with a sluggish clunk. He tried again, harder this time, to the same result. A dull thud and the rock in the grass. The prince. Find the prince. He dropped to his hands and knees and scanned the ground frantically, parted the grass and crawled through the slop like a lunatic until he spotted one. Another. His heart leapt, and he was back on his feet, racing around the structure after them. They led him to a black sweep of earth and a heavy set of flagstone steps descending lower. He took them two at a time until he reached a panel of ancient metal. No markings, no features. Simply a door of some sort. Rusted iron. As he reached for it, a strange grinding scarred the air. A deep vibration that cut through the earth and rattled his bones. A jolt of adrenaline drenched his lungs and he spun around. He'd only taken six, maybe seven steps but the stone staircase now stretched impossibly high above him, at least a hundred steps, maybe more. Beyond them, 
a thin slice of morning sunlight carved down through the newly formed stone canyon, dust motes glittering wildly. Paul stood speechless and shook his head. Not possible. He swallowed his fear and spun back to the door, examined it. Smooth metal, save for one feature. A heart. The same heart from the tree at camp, stamped directly in the center. No doorknob. No way in. His pulse crashed in his ears, and he raised his fist, ready to fracture his knuckles if that's what it took to break through. Stopped. He didn't know why, but something about the door filled Paul with a palpable terror so thick it erupted over his skin in a wave of goose flesh. He hesitated for two moments, then unwound his fist and tentatively set a single finger on the door. His palm, the others followed, his fingernails click-click-clicking down over the cool metal. The heat was instant and tore through his skin like wildfire, liquid hot, like he'd cranked an oven burner to ten. Frantic, he jerked his hand back, but it wouldn't fucking move. Paul stared in horror as a flare of acrid smoke curled from a fingertip. Another. Then it was his entire hand blistering, crackling like a greased strip of bacon, seared to the metal. He could smell it, taste it, sweet heat. The pain was endless, ungodly. A scream ripped from him, an otherworldly scream he didn't recognize as his own. Blacked out. Woke, squinted against intense refraction of light. He was in some chamber. Yes, a chamber draped in mirrors? They surrounded him on all sides, some encrusted with glittering, nameless jewels. He could barely stand to look at the colors, so intense and bright. Others were mere glass and metal, but everything lurid and dripped with light. So much light. My hand. Paul whipped his gaze down his arm, expecting to see blackened flesh. Instead, saw his arm bound his hand smooth and pink, healthy. What the? He blinked hard, flexed his fingers and glanced at his other hand, which was also bound, to a chair, but not exactly a chair, to something else, something alive. A strange pulse radiated through him. He could sense that and feel its heat against his skin, a rough, flesh-like texture. A heartbeat. Then he thrashed, tearing at the restraints, which only tightened with each jerk and pull. So tight, it felt as if they'd sever his flesh, his bone. Still, he tore at the binds, living on his mind, finding her the only thing that mattered. Again, Catherine's voice in his ear. Protect her. Dread suddenly enveloped him the same thick, tangible sense of dread that had overwhelmed him at the door. Cold paralysis, the feeling of being watched, of being consumed. He searched for it, eyes wild and squinted against the sharp illumination across the room. Saw it, 
Not quite darkness, not quite light. Something else, a void, air whirling around it like smoke, everything distorted. And in the center, a figure watching. Movement, a straightening of bone, joints snapping into place, rising, rising. The thing was so tall it nearly scraped the chamber vault. Slowly it lumbered toward him, that swirl of air and light blurring its features. Paul tried to make it out, caught snatches of impossibly purple irises, an elongated mouthless jaw and limbs draped in translucent flesh, black veins, black organs, cold sweat spackled the back of his neck as the thing drew nearer, towered over him with those bright eyes, all he could make out through the brilliant sheen. Daddy! Paul's heart carved through his chest at the sound of Livy's voice. It came from every direction, all at once. He jerked to the side and saw her staring back at him from all the glass. A thousand sets of auburn eyes. Her warm spray of freckles above her lip curved wide in fear. His little girl surrounded him, was in every mirror. Paul snapped his gaze back toward the thing. Those terrible eyes are impossibly high above him, now slits. What do you want from me? Something brushed his cheek. The creature's hand was cool and thin, and Paul slumped forward. Water rushing, stones heaving, grinding, the sensation of floating, sinking, heavy, wet weight on his chest, his arms. Paul, I... I can't move. A wretched cough was next to him, and he shot awake to a mouthful of a dirty river, the sound of rapids. Green water swirled around him, foam. He blinked hard, shook his head, and tried to clear the cobwebs dancing through his vision. Something warm crept over his forehead and into his eyes. Paul? Catherine. He jerked toward the voice and pawed the blood from his vision. She blinked, her neck angled unnaturally away from him, but her eyes were alive and panicked. Her lips were trembling and nostrils flared. Help me. He came alive at that and fumbled frantically at his seatbelt, ripped it off and sloshed his torso clumsily over the center console. His hands dove into the freezing water near her waist and went for her seatbelt, his fingers already dumb with cold, heart thrashing in his chest. What, what happened? She asked. He pulled himself nearly atop her, desperate to find the buckle, a flash of the road. As it crossed the yellow line, the truck barreled straight for them. Shit, hang on! His thumb found the button, and he pressed it, jerked the seatbelt from her lap, and circled his arms around her torso, heaved. She was pure, dead weight. Something snagged as he jerked again. She cried out, and he eased her back, his hand on her cheek. Hey, I'm right here. Take a breath and tell me what hurts, okay? I can't. I... She coughed, something wet from her lungs. I can't feel anything. Her eyes fluttered at that, and he knew he was losing her. Already, he was losing her. 
Jesus, stay with me, cat. She blinked and gave him a slight nod. Now the river near her chest. Frantic, he sucked in a lungful of air and plunged beneath the icy water, feeling down her leg to an angry metal snarl. He pried at it and pulled on her leg until his lungs nearly burst. Kept pulling. Finally, he thrust up again for a ragged breath. The water at her chin now. Her eyes, muddy, unfocused. Go, she said, her voice barely a whisper above the water's roar. No, I'm not leaving you. You have to. For Livy. The SUV's frame groaned and tilted. Water bubbled through the windows, the doors. They were spinning, sinking deeper. The rapids were deafening now. His heart caught in his throat. Cat. Her eyes came alive and caught his. Protect her, Paul. Promise me. He sat unmoving, every fiber of his being drowning with her, unable to speak, to move. Promise me. He nodded and felt for her hands one last time. Good. Now go. He swallowed, his throat so thick with the memory of her that he could barely move, barely breathe. It's like he'd been back there in all that frothing water, its icy grasp. He could still feel her hand in his and the panic in her eyes as she begged him to let her go for Livy's sake. I can protect her. The voice tore through him like a sharp and piercing bright glass waterfall. Inhuman. He seized back against the chair that wasn't a chair, took a sharp, painful breath, and looked up again. Stared at those bright, bright eyes. Your life for hers. The thing was speaking to him, but not speaking. No sound. No words. It had no mouth. It was more a transfer of emotion, laced with terrible meaning. Terrible because he instantly understood it as the truth. This thing, this creature, whatever it was, was telling him the truth. A life for a life. Daddy, help me! A blinding rage tore through him at Livy's voice, and he ripped at the restraints around his wrists once more, seized with all his strength to break free, to kill. The crack of his wrist was instant, the bones in his right hand splitting like brittle kindling as the restraint ripped tighter. A dry pop, pop, crunch. Anguish, he fought for breath, could barely get the words out. His ruined wrist pulsed with pain, throbbed unnaturally. He jerked his gaze up. Why, why are you doing this? What, what do you want? The abomination leaned lower and traced a translucent, multi-jointed finger from his cheek, down his neck, to his heart, where it stopped. A single black talon tapped his chest. Choose. Where are you, Daddy? I can't see anything. It's dark in here. I'm scared. I'm so scared. Her voice cracked. Why won't you help me? He broke at that. A trace of her as a little girl, fresh from a nightmare, her face still creased with it, long eyelashes fluttering. His hand was on her cheek as he whispered her back to sleep. The pad of his thumb beneath her chin, 
his lips close to her ear. Daddy's here, baby. You're safe now. You're safe. Shoes. Paul gasped. The creature was in his head, his very cells. It was literally a part of him. He could feel it, taste it, smoke and ash, but what did it mean? What would he be leaving Livy with? Just the thought of losing her to this awful thing gutted him and flooded him with unbearable despair. But he had to make a choice, or it would kill her. That much he knew. The words burst up his throat, unchecked and urgent. Me, take me, goddamn you! The thing shuddered, its emotion spilling through him. A cold blend of ecstasy and excitement, and something more. Relief. An endless ocean of it. Cool and wet, like it had been dammed for centuries. The voice swept through him again. Yes, I will protect her. The talon at his chest flicked, sliced through his shirt, and hovered above his naked flesh for an agonizing moment as the creature's eyes bore into him. The finger moved again, and Paul watched in horror as the talon cut a perfect red X in his skin. The other fingers joined, a blur of talons, a hot sheet of blood spilled over his chest. Cutting, cutting, so sharp. Inside him, he screamed. The sensation is more than pain, something beyond pain, pure anguish, like nothing he'd ever felt. His ribs cracked, vessels sliced, then a terrible pressure, a fatal jerking sensation. One, two, three times, ripping. Vital things inside him gave way and snapped free with a wet sucking sound as the creature withdrew its multi-jointed claw, and in it, Paul saw a heart. His heart, still beating. Thump, the thump, thump. His fucking heart. Paul gasped as his vision curled in at the corners like a photograph set aflame. Still, he watched as the thing lifted his beating heart up, 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 so high, stopping at its face. The air stilled, that hazy sheen clearing long enough to reveal a smooth, mouthless jaw, crystalline flesh and no nose. The creature stared at the heart, mesmerized, tilted its head and began grinding its jaw back and forth back and forth. A shredding sound filled the air, something like stitches popping. Then that translucent skin tore piece by piece, inch by inch, to reveal the beginnings of a mouth, a horrible, wet semicircle of a mouth that became a dark maw, black as a cave. The creature's jaw unhinged further, that awful skin ripping, popping until... To Paul's horror, it lifted his heart and placed it inside, swallowed, then nothing at all. The woman came into existence, one frame at a time, a splash of color in the middle of the mirrored chamber. A yellow summer dress, 
and a froth of brown hair over her shoulder. That smile and the tan summer skin that had slayed him all those years ago in freshman biology. Catherine. But it couldn't be. She was in the river, never found, though they dredged and dredged. Still, she was just a few feet away and clutching something, someone to her chest. A girl, somehow important, the most important thing of all, sobbing. The girl's shoulders heaved as the woman he couldn't remember her name now pulled her closer and whispered something in her ear, squeezed her tighter. Paul felt a vague sensation of sinking, of being pulled down, down, down. Why couldn't he remember her name? Why couldn't he remember his own? And his body, so different, so strange, something off. He glanced down his arm and felt his eyes widen in shock. His skin was clear. Jesus. He swallowed hard at the sight of dark veins running through his forearm, a dense network of them cutting through muscle and bone, dead veins. He flexed his hand, no, a claw in a forest of black talons jerked in response. Revulsion burned down his spine, and he whipped his gaze up, tried to speak, but realized his mouth wouldn't open. He had no lips, no tongue. The woman stood, took the girl's hand, and led her away from him toward the dark passage. She hesitated for a moment, glanced back. Her eyes held his for an unbearable moment, the color unnatural, a strange liquid purple before fading to a soft brown, a color that had once meant something, as had the girl. No more. Now, nothing mattered. Nothing but finding a heart. I hope you enjoyed If Only a Heart, as written by Caleb Stevens and performed by Nate Dufort. Author Caleb Stevens' fiction writing journey began when he decided to pen a short story for the 2016 Annual Writer's Digest Popular Fiction Awards, which, to his great surprise, placed with an honorable mention. Since then, his short fiction has appeared in over 20 publications and podcasts. He has written three novels, the first of which will forever reside in the proverbial junk drawer on his computer and is at work on a fourth, a speculative coming-of-age horror thriller set in an abstract version of Dante's Inferno. His short story, The Wallpaper Man, was adapted for film in 2022 by Falconer Film and Media. Nate Dufort is a writer, producer, director, and voice actor who splits his time between Detroit and Chicago. He also performs over on the Creepy Podcast, which you can hear by going to www.creepypod.com. We're so thankful to have him share his talent with us.
Now to the shows. Longtime resident and powerhouse Otis Jiry has his very own show here on our network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. Fear from the Heartland, featuring horror stories brought to you from the Heartland, airs Wednesdays. Eric Peabody's Horror Hill is a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you'll check him out. And Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.